think the biggest challenge with starting an apparel brand or any product-based business is building the product itself. Hey everyone, this is Nazara Keel from Max Pro. Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Paul. And we're Love and Pebbles. Hi, this is Lopa Vandermers from Rasa. Oh, you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening to, to the Ecom Show. Welcome to the Ecom Show, presented by Blue Tusker, the number one place to hear the inside scoop from other e-commerce experts, where they share their secrets on how they scaled their business and are now living the dream. Now, here is your host, Andrew Mass. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ecom Show. I'm your host, Andrew Mapp, and today I am joined by the amazing Stacy Grace of Kent. Stacy, how are you doing? You ready for a good show? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to have you on the show. You are uh, definitely, the stuff you guys have done has been incredibly impressive. Super excited to get into it. There's also some crazy stuff. We've had a lot of Shark Tank people on the show, but you've got some interesting stories around the episodes you were on. But we'll get to that. I would love to do the normal thing here and give you a minute to kind of tell everyone a little bit about yourself, about Kent, and we can start from there. Cool. Um, so I'm Stacy. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Kent. We're a plastic-free, landfill-free, organic, and fully compostable end-of-life basics brand. And essentially why composting is such a cool way to think about end-of-life options for clothes that would otherwise end up in landfills. So things like underwear, bras, socks, um, that don't have a clear end-of-life alternative. Uh, you can't donate or resell them. So we offer the option to, well, what we call for your underwear, plant your pants. So you can literally throw them in the compost. They'll turn into soil um, at end-of-life. Um, and composting is something that I just grew up with. Um, I'm from Toronto, Canada, and curbside composting was just the norm. And thinking about how when something is so natural and made from natural materials like plants, then it can return back to nature. And that's kind of the ethos about all of our products um, and where, where we're headed. Beautiful. How did you come up with this idea? Well, I had studied sustainability and fashion about 10 years ago um, in the UK and realized that one category in fashion that really hadn't been tackled was intimate apparel and particularly in women's underwear, synthetics like nylon, spandex, elastane are so overused in that category. And I myself want to find 100% natural options. And I talked to my friends, they wanted the same thing, and we just couldn't find it. It didn't exist. So after many years of talking to women and now men about their underwear, um, we did a lot of R&D and just figured, kind of developed this um, concept and discovered that a lot of other people in the world were looking for the same thing. So it's been an idea in the making for quite a while. Um, but we eventually put like feet to the fire a couple of years ago. Nice. So obviously you started this business. This is a, not only just a new category, but it's also in apparel, which is 
one of the hardest to get into uh, to differentiate yourself. Obviously, your big differentiator is pretty self-explanatory. Um, but did you have any trouble in the beginning starting to get it to catch on? I think the biggest challenge with starting an apparel brand or any product-based business is building the product itself. <laughs> um, so not so much, ca- I mean, catching on in terms of the nature of D2C business has changed, especially over the last year with the introduction of iOS updates. And we know all of that um, with Facebook ads. So we never wanted to rely on advertising as our sole means to grow the business. Um, So we have grown luckily organically to date for the most part um, through word of mouth, referrals, some organic press coverage. Um, But we also have decided to partner with a few strategic wholesale brands or wholesalers um, like Madewell and Nordstrom to get our name out even further and get in front of new audiences. So I think by doing that, it's helped our idea to catch on um, and resonate with the right people, but definitely hasn't been, yeah, relying on advertising where that's been a hurdle I know for a lot of brands. Yeah. So are you looking to get more into retail or are you trying to maintain it a little bit more on the D2C side? Definitely focus more on D2C, though we have yeah a couple strategic partners where we feel the fit is really great and it allows us to expand our distribution beyond our current set. That's not to say in the future we couldn't go deeper in there, but focus majority D2C with a couple other yeah wholesale partners. What has so on the D to C side? What has been like kind of the main focus from a marketing strategy? Because obviously you just mentioned Facebook ads and the iOS change and all that fun stuff. But has that been the main focus, or are you doing more like influencer marketing or affiliate marketing? What's what's kind of been your approach? Affiliate marketing has been really great for us. Um, so we've worked with a ton of great outlets from Refinery29 to smaller, more boutique um, blogger influencer types. And recently we have gotten into influencer marketing, um, which has been really great for us from, I'd say less from a consumer acquisition standpoint, but more from a consumer awareness perspective and also having our story and the concept of compostable clothing being told by a variety of voices in different ways is really exciting for us because it gives us almost a chance to test through these individuals who are really excited about our product, different types of messaging and understand like what's working, what's resonating with their community. And then we can tap it into ours. Um, So affiliate marketing influencers and email marketing has just been really beneficial for us. The the influencer marketing side doesn't really shock me that you say that because it's one of those things I I always find, especially when you're first starting off a business, that it tends to be a great way to get started simply because you, if you don't have that much brand recognition yet, or you don't have a lot of reviews or anything along those lines, you kind of come off biased saying like, Hey, we have the best product. You should buy it. Like anyone can make a really cool ad and run it. So when you let other people tell your story and your messaging for you, it's always really interesting to see what those people, what their followers are saying to them, as opposed to what they might be saying to you, which sometimes is not a lot. 
um, what, uh, what kind of like influencers have you been focused on? Are you doing kind of like the fashion approach or are you doing like just kind of more of a, a general celebrity or something along those lines? Um, we're focused on the micro and nano influencers in fashion lifestyle with predominantly a focus on sustainability, eco-consciousness, um, healthy living, wellness, because we know that that's the type of customer that really gets excited about our brand and our products. Um, yeah. And it is really cool, as you say, to, to read the comments and hear what their wow. communities are saying. <laughs> like, oh my God, you can plant your underwear? That's, that's so cool. And like, I never knew this existed. And so that's kind of the conversation or the reach that we want to have is this like very cool factor that if someone genuinely finds our product and our brand exciting, then most likely their community will too. So it's, it's very fun to see that. So you mentioned you're from Canada, you're in LA now, I believe, correct? Yes. Los Angeles. Nice. So you mentioned composting in Canada is more of an everyday thing than it is here in the States. That's it is catching on in the U.S. Um, uh, in Los Angeles, it's not uh, quite curbside yet, but it is transitioning that way. And there's a lot of municipalities and cities across the U.S. where curbside composting is going to be the the mainstream thing where it's like you're recycling you just put out your bin at the side of the road um with your food scraps from your kitchen cooking um so i think as that gains momentum the knowledge of what composting is and the power of composting is also going to catch on um but even with that because curbside composting those streams can only handle food waste. They couldn't, mm -hmm. for instance, handle our underwear in the green bin just yet um, because they can't even handle um, like compostable coffee cups. It's a totally yeah. different waste management um, process. So, so we created our own compost take back program to help tackle that. So if no one has access to a compost, they can still participate and be part of the end of life process. So if right now, if someone doesn't have some kind of composting process at home, it's probably they're better off doing the, is there, are they just shipping their clothes back to you, I assume? Exactly. Yeah. So they send it back to us. We have a composting partner here in California and they receive a credit to shop on our website as a kind of a thank you for not throwing your clothes in the landfill. <laughs> nice. That's pretty smart. That was a good move. What, uh, <laughs> you mentioned though, that a bunch of people meant, uh, said like, Oh, I didn't know you could plant your underwear and said like, can you also just plant it and let it just eventually dissolve? Like, how's yeah, that? Work? I mean, I'm naive it, to this, so I apologize for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could totally do that. Um, I, it's like you, planting an apple or an avocado it's not it's going to take a lot longer than if you put it in yeah. a compost because the benefits of a compost it's like very active it has a ton of natural um organisms that are breaking down the compost itself so when you yeah. throw it just like in a garden it doesn't have that activity going on so it will take longer but I mean, by all means, you can totally do it <laughs> and experiment and see how long it'll take. <laughs> <laughs> 
that would be pretty interesting for it to be uh, kind of regular for everyone to have like a hole in their backyard. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that's my my old Kent stuff. <laughs> that's my uh, DIY Kent compost. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, so you're obviously on Shark Tank. What? What made you it, – it's very interesting asking some of these questions on the Shark Tank thing because I don't think I've had a single I – I, I guess you don't really call them contestants, but I haven't had a single person that was on Shark Tank give me basically the same answer. But what made you want to apply to be on the show or even did you apply? Did they hunt you down or like how that how the beginning process go? We did apply to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And from what I hear, that's quite unusual where a lot of the brands – or companies that go on Shark Tank are hunted down or however you say it. Um, So we wanted to apply because we felt like we had gained enough momentum ourselves in bootstrapping and growing this business over a year in and felt like it was the right time to get both an injection of capital to help us skip ahead in our growth um, Mm -hmm. plan, but also get the exposure because you can't beat the eyeballs that are on Shark Tank. So yeah. it was it was an easy decision for us to apply. But I will say the process to get on the show was a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Um, six to seven months in the making. So it's not for the faint of heart, but it was, ama- it was an amazing experience. Um, the lead up and then actually being on the show too. Yeah. So you mentioned the eyeballs on Shark Tank. So this was the thing I was really excited to ask you about. My wife and I are big fans. We watch it all the time. And we had no idea they were doing a live episode, which was very interesting. (laughs) What was like, so obviously for those who are listening and didn't see it, you actually were one of the first companies to do this on Shark Tank where you were, I guess not before, you were pitching in front of a live audience as well as the Sharks. What, what was that like? Like that show's not nervous enough when you're sitting there pitching and then they add what looked like probably a good 75 to 100 people at least sitting there watching. It was uh insane but amazing experience. <laughs> I think it was overwhelming. I quite liked having the studio audience there, to be honest. It felt like they were cheering and in our corner where Oftentimes in Shark Tank normal situation, it feels like the the sharks are really asking you a ton of questions and you feel like you're on the spot. But to have the audience then literally behind the Shark Tank panel and cheering us on felt like mm. it gave us this constant <laughs> like boost of confidence. Um And I think we also have a newborn baby and he hadn't been sleeping well that week. So I think being like a little bit sleep deprived gave me like (laughs) uh, less of a nervous outlook perhaps where it's like, okay, we just got to do this. Um, Let's get out there and just have some fun. So, and the sharks were amazing because it was their first time doing a live episode. So we were all kind of in the same boat. It wasn't like they, this was old hat to them. We were all trying to figure it out on the spot. So I think that also made it a little less nerve wracking. Yeah. Nice. So you did get a deal, obviously. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. At least from the show. I know sometimes post show, they don't always happen. Um, What was it like? Are you, are you still working with Damon? And if so, how's that going? What's that whole relationship look like? 
Yeah, so we have chatted with Damon since the show. He's really great. And we're working with his team to hash out all the fine details yeah. of the deal. So as with any Shark Tank deal, kind of on air, it's a handshake deal. And now we go into like due diligence and all that uh, fine line. So we're still working through that. <laughs> yeah, makes a lot of sense. It, I mean, I remember... Uh, we're a little over a year now doing this podcast. And one of the first times I interviewed a Shark Tank person, I was just like, I really should have known that they do a lot of due diligence after <laughs> and that it wasn't just some handshake deal. Uh, makes a lot more sense. Um, yes. But how, so how was that? I don't think that episode's re-aired yet, right? It's just aired the one time so far. I believe so. Yeah. Just came out of the season. How was the response like day of and, you know, shortly thereafter. It's been really great. And I think we definitely got a nice like influx of people to our website and sales took a nice bump. Um, and just the residual awareness of our appearance on Shark Tank, which we've been leveraging through press and um, just overall word of mouth and exposure has been awesome. So from what I've heard with other brands that have gone on Shark Tank, every time it does re-air, as you say, you see a little like spike in sales um, yeah, you'll know on your airs. website. So <laughs> I think we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that, but, but it's been great so far. So I know that I know as well that because uh, at least this was the case when you mentioned the show. I think you were on track to probably clear about half a million this year, which based on that growth, you'll probably clear seven figures next year, or at least come pretty close to it. Although I'd assume with that influx in capital, you should be in a good spot. What uh, did you expect that kind of growth when you first started off, or were you expecting it kind of more of a, a slower um, kind of traditional ramp? Yeah, I think in the beginning, we anticipated a slower growth just because we hadn't yet decided to raise outside capital until about a year ago. And mm -hmm. so without that influx, it was always just reinvesting profits. And so that's always a slower growth gain than if you were to complement with outside capital to invest yeah. in both product, marketing, community building, everything that goes around it. So I think for us, we're really excited about where things are headed and lucky that we have both this potential deal with Damon, but also additional investors um, that have come on and have shown interest to help us grow the vision of this brand um, to make it something really big. Nice. So as of recording this, we're actually what, like today, Wednesday? So two days before... Black Friday, you have one of the biggest shopping you know days of the year, and then obviously the front half of December is always really impressive. This is it's definitely not your first Black Friday, but I would say it's your first Black Friday since you recently got national coverage. So, <laughs> what have you? How have you kind of prepped for you know Q four here, and like what kind of campaigns have you put together? Like, what's your strategy been for this year? Yes. So in terms of prepping for the holidays, just having product available has been our key priority because over the past year, there have been instances where we sell out and that's never a good situation where we're leaving sales on the table. So having product has been kind of our number one focus in prepping for Q4. Uh, Black Friday is actually something we don't 
traditionally participate in from a discount perspective because mm-hmm. um well one our prices we've priced them so strategically or um appropriately where we feel like it's not a cost cutting exercise for us throughout the year to get people to buy and we don't want to just be promoting shopping for shopping sake um so our theme this year for black friday is about saving 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 the earth so how can you save the earth um through (laughs) percentage (laughs) savings in emissions and water and things like that so it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely a, a different take and i know that um it might be a missed opportunity for us in terms of sales, but it's just the way it just sits a lot better with our ethos and the way that we want to operate as a company to not be constantly slashing prices. Yeah. No, I, I actually really admire that. It's, it's way too often that the, the question when it comes time to prep for, you know, Black Friday and any part of Q4 is how much of a discount are we willing to give? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that, I think that if you're constantly having discounts, you start to diminish the brand. And it actually, in my opinion, starts to hurt sales after a while as well, because people are just sitting around waiting for your next sale. So your sales are basically flat or nothing until you've got some kind of discount going. And plus, you know, it it can kind of diminish the brand, especially, you know, sometimes you see these sales that are 40 to 60% off. And, you know, it kind of makes the consumer, at least it makes me feel like, wow, you've been ripping me off for the entire (laughs) year that you could afford to do that. So it does kind of make sense where I'm, I, I like the, the theme concept, but not catering to, uh, to constantly slashing prices. Exactly. Um, Yeah. A lot goes into making our products and it's not like we're marking it up in such a big way. It's just, we, use really beautiful materials and we produce here in LA. So it's more expensive to do that. Um, So kind of our price bundles that all in together. So is it all completely sourced and created here in LA or is it, or do you have other aspects of it overseas? We do import our materials um, from Peru. That's the only place in the world where you can find the specific uh, materials that we use. And mm-hmm. everything else is sourced and manufactured um, in the U.S. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. So you don't have too much of a supply chain problem? No, or... luckily we don't. Nice. <laughs> so that's also but another benefit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So love the fact that we can just drive 15 minutes over to our factory, say hello to everyone, know exactly who's working on our products and have such like a great relationship with them. That is very cool. That is usually not the case at all. Yes. It's usually like a 15 hour flight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but Stacy, I know you're super busy and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I really appreciate you having me on the show. I would love to give you the opportunity, of course, to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and about Kent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And you can find us at wherekent.com, W-E-A-R-K-E-N-T.com, or on Instagram at wherekent. And it's been great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you. 
obviously, everyone that tuned in, thank you as well. Please make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff on whichever platform you prefer, or head over to theecomshow.com to check out all of our previous episodes or our YouTube channel or whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Either way, thank you all so much for tuning in, and we will see you all next time. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to The Ecom Show. Head over to ecomshow.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or on the Blue Tusker YouTube channel. The Ecom Show is brought to you by Blue Tusker, a full-service digital marketing company specifically for e-commerce sellers looking to accelerate their growth. Go to bluetusker.com now for more information. Make sure to tune in next week for another amazing episode of The Ecom Show.